0: continue on our theme of our spiritual authority. And I want to talk about preparation for exercising our spiritual authority. How do we prepare ourselves to really exercise the authority that God has given to us? Our spiritual authority is really a work of grace. We didn't earn it. God gave it to us. By grace. He's put us in this place of authority and given us authority in life as a work of grace. He did it by His grace. We didn't earn it. But there are things that we can do to be more effective in the exercise of our authority. You know, just like the policeman or the soldier, they're appointed by the government and say, okay, you're a policeman, you're a soldier, you're there. But then they go through boot camp, they go through training, they go through preparation, and probably it's an ongoing thing. They continually train and uh, hone their skills and their knowledge and understanding in being what they've appointed to be. And the same thing with us, you know, while God has done this as a work of grace and given us spiritual authority here on earth, there are things that you and I can do to really become effective in the exercise of our authority. And that's what we want to talk about. So we call it preparation for exercising our spiritual authority. I want to talk about seven areas that that help us prepare ourselves to walk in spiritual authority. I'm not going to spend too much time on each, but just want to highlight these things. That, you know, we need to be strong in all of these areas. Watch ourselves in these areas. Because... This is part of our preparation to walk in the authority, to walk in the spiritual authority that God has given to us. So I want to talk about these seven areas. The first one is about being strong in our intimacy with God and in our identity in Christ. Walking in obedience to God. Having on the full armor of God. Walking in faith, the role of intercession and prayer. Fasting. And also about commitment. And I just want to touch on each of these things. Not necessarily get into great detail on these seven areas. But understand that this is part of our preparation. If I'm, if I'm strong in these areas, it will help me be more effective in the exercise of spiritual authority in life. That's what we're going to cover this morning. So let's talk about the first one. how uh, On being strong in our intimacy with God and in our identity in Christ. Let's go back to something we talked about several Sundays ago when we talked about life in the Garden of Eden you know when God put Adam and Eve in the garden he placed them in a perfect environment but he also told them to guard the garden and also to subdue and have dominion to guard the garden would imply that there was an intruder outside the garden who would attempt to break in and disturb what he had given to them in the garden. So he said, I want you to guard the garden. Genesis 2.15. Guard what I've given you. He also said, I want you to subdue and have dominion. Implying that outside the garden was were things that needed to be subdued. Things that might have been in rebellion, so to speak. And so God wanted them to take what he had given them in the garden. And replicate it all over the world. So that the whole world would have, in effect, what God had given to them in the garden. So he said, I want you to subdue and have dominion. So these are terms that, in conflict, guard the garden, subdue, have dominion. Guard from an enemy, subdue, have dominion. But you notice that in the garden, God never said, you know, here are your weapons of warfare. He never said, look, these are the weapons you're going to use to protect the garden. He didn't give them any weapons, so to speak, in the garden. So what did Adam and Eve have? Whatever Adam and Eve had in the garden was more than sufficient to fulfill this commandment of guarding the garden, of subduing the earth and having dominion. Amen? What did they have? Number one, they had intimacy with God. That's what they had. They had an unbroken fellowship with God. So much so that the Bible says that God would walk with them in the garden in the cool of the day. Say, hi Adam, how are you doing? How is the day going? It was such an intimacy with God. They had that in the garden. They also had identity. They were created in the image and likeness of God. They represented God. It was God made visible through them on the earth. They had identity in the garden. In addition to this relationship, they had an assignment. They had obedience and they had assignments. They walked in obedience to God. God said, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's okay. No questions asked. I won't eat of the tree. And as long as they walked in obedience, they were able to well fulfill The command of guarding, having dominion, subduing. And they had an assignment. Tend the garden. Be fruitful, multiply. Take it all over the earth. That was their assignment. So here's the conclusion. That to walk in spiritual authority, the foundation, the core of it is intimacy with God and identity in Him. And tied into that is our obedience to God and faithfulness to the assignment He's given us. If we walk in in these things, in intimacy with God and our identity in Him, just obedience to God and faithfulness to the assignment, we are well able to walk in spiritual authority here on earth. Amen? All these spiritual weapons that we will be talking about next Sunday... The blood of the lamb, the name of Jesus, the word of God. All these spiritual weapons came on later. After the fall. But prior to the fall, they didn't need spiritual weapons. To guard the garden, to have dominion, to uh, uh, subdue. The intimacy they had with God and their identity in him was more than sufficient. To walk in spiritual authority. I even be so far? So what I want us to understand at the very core of us walking in authority is simply, very simply, our intimacy with God and our identity in Jesus Christ. Who you are in Christ, knowing that and believing that and walking in it is is so important. It just, it comes naturally that, look, I am in Christ and therefore the powers of darkness have to be in submission to me. I mean, created in the image and likeness of God. Just walking in that spiritual authority is an outflow of your intimacy with God and your identity in Christ Jesus. Amen? You don't have to try to pretend to be something you're not. You are in a place of authority in Christ. Just walk in it. So, maintaining a life of intimacy... Walking in this identity that you have in Christ is part of our preparation to walk in authority. Amen? Secondly, obedience to God is part of my preparation to walk in authority. When we walk in obedience to God, in submission to Him, authority flows freely through our lives. In areas that you are walk in obedience in those areas you'll find the flow of god's authority but in areas in which you are in rebellion it's going to be difficult to exercise authority the bible says in james chapter 4 verse 6 and 7 submit to god resist the devil and he will flee from you notice the order in the sequence in which it is given to us First, I submit to God. I come under obedience to Him. Then I resist the devil. Then I can expect the enemy to respond to the authority God's given to me. Now, obedience is important. Now, now some of us think, okay, you know, I don't smoke, I don't chew pan, I don't drink, I uh, I don't swear, I don't curse. I don't do all those things, so I'm really in obedience to God, but maybe not. Maybe there are areas in our lives that are more important. I'm not saying, you know, drinking a smoky throat. But what I'm saying is there are areas in our lives where God is demanding obedience and we are fighting it. Maybe there are areas in our lives where we're finding it very hard to obey God. Sometimes we think, you know, obedience to God is the most logical thing to do. Just come on, obey, do it. But maybe not. For many of us, obedience in certain areas are really, there's a struggle. Jesus struggled in order to come to a place of obedience. Hebrews chapter 5 tells us that he learned obedience through the things he suffered. He learned Obedience through what he suffered. Can you imagine that even the Son of God had to come to a place of becoming compliant to the will of God. And in order to come to that place of obedience, he actually suffered. He went through stuff. So it's not always easy to obey God. Many of us will face challenges. Mostly our own emotions, fighting us, trying to hold us back from coming into obedience to God. Look at Jesus' struggle in John chapter 12, verses 27 and 28. Jesus said, John chapter 12, verses 27 and 28, Jesus said, Now my soul is troubled. Now he knew the hour had come for him to go to the cross. And he says, now, my soul is troubled. know, some of us would think, man, maybe for Jesus, for him, obedience was so natural. So, come on, let's go to the cross, you know. Didn't happen that way. He says, now, my soul is troubled. The time had come for him to go to the cross. And he's actually feeling something inside him. He so said, my soul is troubled. I'm feeling the pain of obedience to the Father. And what does he do? He has a conversation that goes on within him. He says, and what shall I say? I mean, how am I going to respond to this? Question mark. Should I say, Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Verse 28, Father, glorify your name. It's like this, you know, inside Jesus, he's going through this struggle. He knows that time has come for him to go to the cross. And he's feeling troubled, he's disturbed, he's feeling the anguish, the pain. And then he says, you know, what shall I say? Should I say, Father, rescue me from this hour? I don't want to go to the cross. Is that what I should say? Question mark. Then he reminds himself of his assignment. For this purpose, I came to this hour. So instead of saying, Father, rescue me from this hour, I'm going to say, Father, glorify your name. Obedience is not always easy. Jesus struggles. But reminding yourself of your assignment will inspire you, will encourage you to press through that struggle and stay in obedience to the Father. Jesus reminded himself for this purpose I came to this hour. Amen? You know, pastors are kind of strange people. Really strange. Because honestly when people who are part of your congregation when they leave, you feel hurt. So the years when I've I mean, there have been people who are part of the congregation and they've left. I mean, there are people who leave in a good way. You know, they go out to start another church, they relocate, they tell me and they go. That's wonderful. But sometimes suddenly people just disappear. The mobile number doesn't work anymore. Address is changed. Whatever, they just disappear. They were there for several years and suddenly they're gone. No news where they went, or whatever. And then you feel hurt. I'm just, I'm just being honest with you. And then I begin to think. When was the last time they were in church? What was the sermon I preached? <laughs> because did I say something in that sermon that drove them away? You know, I don't know. They just disappeared. And you feel hurt. And you know, then you kind of go through all these questions like, what happened? Why did they leave? I mean, did the visitors welcome the team not treat them properly? <laughs> or did the ushers not smile at them? Did the greeters not shake hands? I mean, what was the reason? Why did they leave? They just disappeared. And, and you feel the pain. Now, here's what I've learned to do. Many times when people have left, and and I'm just wondering, like, you know, God, what happened? Why did they leave? I just tell myself, Ashish, here's the reason why you came. I remind myself, there is a nation of nearly one billion people that need Jesus. I tell myself, look at the purpose. Don't be offended by some person leaving. I mean, they could have left for some silly reason. Maybe, you know, it wasn't smelling nice that particular Sunday. I don't know. People leave church for all kinds of reasons. But I say, Ashes, I remind myself, there's a nation of one billion people. And you're here to give your life for them. Don't let one person offend you. Amen. Now I've done that several times. I just tell myself, speak to myself. I say, hey, look at the big purpose. You've come for a nation. Don't let one person offend you. So refuse to be offended. Amen? Jesus reminded himself for this purpose I came to this hour. This is my assignment. I'm going to go through it. So, obedience is not always easy. You need to remind yourself of your assignment. Stay with it. Focus on it. Go after it. Obey. But here's the key. In areas where you have demonstrated greatest obedience to God, in those areas you'll be able to exercise greatest authority through God. Amen? If you've been obedient to God in your finances, there'll be areas in your finances where you can demonstrate great authority. Amen? Great submission brings great authority. If he reigns in me, to the extent that he reigns in me, to that extent he can reign through me. To the extent he has dominion in me, to that extent he can have dominion through me. Obedience to God is important. So walk in obedience. For you and me to exercise authority, walk in obedience. Number three. We must put on the whole armor of God. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 18. Let's just read that passage and I'll probably give a high level overview of that. Ephesians chapter 6. You're familiar with the armor of God that we are called to walk in. Ephesians six ten through 12. We're talking about preparation. What's going to help me walk in spiritual authority? Having on the full armor of God is important. Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to... Withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. So Paul is giving us a little description of the armor that we have to have on as believers in our spiritual conflict. To be successful in our spiritual conflict. And let me just make some comments here on this armor of God. Paul begins by saying, be strong in the Lord." See, it's our responsibility to strengthen ourselves in God. God is strong. There is no power shortage. It's like what happened in our nation. New Delhi, black off three days, whatever. There's no lack of power supply from God's side. Amen. But our side, he says, we must be strong in the Lord. So I have a responsibility of strengthening myself in God through prayer, through His word, through intimacy with God, through knowing my identity in Him. I must strengthen myself in God. Be strong in the Lord and in the power that comes from Him. You derive your power. Charge yourself up with the power that comes from God. Be strong. And then He tells us, you know, if you put on this whole armor you will be able to withstand in the evil day. What's the evil day? It's the day when things are the worst. There are good days, there are bad days, and then there are evil days. And he says, if you've got this armor on, you will be able to stand in the evil day. Meaning, you don't have to fall. Yeah, the day may be evil. The time may be evil. The devil may be coming against you. Uh, With all he's got. But if you've got this armor on, you will still be able to stand. That you may be able to withstand in the evil day. So what if the day is bad? You've got the armor on, you'll keep standing. So God's given you whatever you need to keep standing. Amen. And then he says, put on the whole armor. And then he gives us pieces of our armor. Now here's the point we must understand. He's using the example, the typology of a a Roman soldier having his armor on. And uh, when we draw the parallels, there are some things we must not do. For example, the soldier puts his armor on and takes it off when he goes to sleep. But you don't do that spiritually. Amen? It's not like you're putting it on and taking it off. I mean, you walk in this. In other words, you've got your armor on even when you're sleeping. You know? Now, some people have this prayer every morning. I now put on the helmet of salvation. I now put on the breast. And my question is, when did you take it off? Now, if you want to do that prayer for your own benefit, go ahead. But I don't. Because for me, this is something you have on all the time. You walk in this. Oh, I took it off to shine it, you know. Okay, So when you draw the parallels, you've got to be a little careful. You can't just make a literal application of everything that happens in the natural to the spiritual. Another thing, Paul talks about the helmet, the breastplate, the belt, the shoes, the sheath and the sword. All is good. They're important parts. But when you translate it into the spiritual, don't think that your helmet only protects your head. Salvation, he says, put on the helmet of salvation. Salvation only doesn't protect your head, it protects your whole being spiritually. Right? So, there are some things you, you should not do when you translate the parallel over into the spiritual. Basically, all these things are part of you as a spirit being, you're walking in this all the time. What is it? The helmet of salvation. Knowing your salvation, knowing what you've been saved from, saved into, walking in the reality of it is part of your armor. Protects your whole being, not just your head. Knowing your salvation, what you've been saved from, what you've been saved into, is part of your armor. Because one of the enemy's weapons is the you of the joy And the experience of your salvation. Say, no, this is mine. I walk in it. The breastplate of righteousness, knowing that you are righteous in God's eyes and therefore you live righteous. The breastplate is important. It is your part of your armor that protects you, it's a protective part of your weapon, of your armor. One of Satan's biggest weapons against the believer is a very simple weapon. It's called accusation. Or you can use the word condemnation. It is a direct challenge against the armor of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness. It is designed to question your standing before God. It comes in these religious terms like you're not good enough. God doesn't really love you. But the breastplate of righteousness says, I am righteous in the eyes of God. I am accepted in his eyes. I am welcome in his presence. There is therefore now no condemnation against me. I am loved and accepted in the beloved. That's your breastplate of righteousness. Knowing that you're righteous in the eyes of God. And so these fiery darts of accusation and condemnation fall by the wayside when you know Of your righteousness in Jesus. Put it on. Because the moment you're going to exercise your authority. The thought will go through your mind. You didn't pray enough yet. The moment you want to exercise your authority. The thought will go through your mind. You were watching TV last night. Two hours. But when you got your breastplate of righteousness on. You say TV, no TV. I am the righteousness of God. I am accepted in the beloved. From before the foundation of the world, Ephesians 1 and verse 4 says. My standing before God is not based on my merit, but it's based on the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? That's your breastplate of righteousness. You know you're right standing with God. And you're walking in that. And the belt of truth or integrity. It holds everything together. It's so important. Don't belittle or diminish the importance of walking in integrity in small things. In small things. You know, you go to the shopkeeper and he says, how much is it? He says, 40 rupees. You give him 100 rupees and he gives you 70 rupees back. Oh, man, God blessed me with 10 extra. No. Integrity. Give him 10 back. You say, does that affect my spiritual authority? Yeah. Because it's your belt of truth. Because the next time you want to exercise authority in the realm of money, you're going to be weak because you've compromised. You've not walked in integrity in the handling of money. And you want to chase of demons of poverty or whatever. Hey, they've already trapped you. For ten rupees. Integrity is important. Amen. Walk in truth. Be ready to share the gospel. Because the gospel is the power of God. You have your shoes on. Meaning you're ready, always ready to share the gospel. The gospel is the power of God. It's part of our armor. Always ready to share the gospel. At every opportunity you get, share Jesus. It's the power of God. Make no apology for the gospel. Paul said, I'm not ashamed. The gospel of Jesus Christ. The shield of faith. So faith is a shield. Your faith in God is a shield. That quenches all the fiery darts of the wicked. So when the enemy throws in his fiery darts. You have your faith in God. And your strong faith is like that shield. That nullifies, neutralizes, cancels extinguishes every fiery dart. So believing believe in God. The devil comes against you in the area of your job, your profession, your career, your finances, your home, your family. You're standing up for that faith as a seal. Say, no, this is the word of God. This is what I will have. And he keeps throwing his fiery darts. Yes, you can't prevent them from coming. But your faith in God and his word will quench those fiery darts. Amen? Now, faith is not only a shield that is a protective or a defensive piece of armor, but the shield is also an offensive piece. Because the Roman soldier didn't carry a puny little shield like this, you know. His shield is huge, you know, full size. And when they wanted to advance against the enemy, one of the ways they did it was to hold the shield and advance So your shield is actually an offensive weapon and helps you advance against the enemy. Your faith in God causes you to advance against the enemy. Now when the Roman soldiers fought in groups, they had about three, six of them, twelve of them. They would all align their shields like a big wall. And now you've got an armored tank marching forward. Because they're all protected. One row of shields, shield in front, another row of shield on the top, they are well protected. And they are actually using the shield to advance against the enemy. So faith is not only a defensive weapon, it's an offensive weapon. It's a weapon that helps you gain territory against the enemy. Your faith in God, your faith believing what God has spoken, is going to cause you to advance against the enemy. Part of our preparation, getting ready to fight. Amen? So keep your faith in God alive by meditating his word and confessing the word. Keep it alive. Keep it strong. Don't give up on your faith in God. The last piece of armor that he said in Ephesians 6 was our sword, which is the word of God, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. One definite offensive weapon. The word of God. God's word that we speak becomes an offensive weapon against the enemy. Now, about the word, in the Greek, there are two words used that are translated in the English word. There is a logos and the rhema. John 1 talks about the logos. In the beginning was the logos. The logos was with God. The logos was God. The logos became flesh. Ephesians 6 is talking about the rhema. And take the sword of the spirit, which is the rhema of God. The Logos is the revealed word of God. The Rhema is the quickened word of God. The Logos is the complete word of God. The Rhema is a specific word from God. So the whole Bible is the Logos. It's everything God's revealed. It's the complete. But out of the word, God will quicken something to you in a particular situation. That's your Rhema. He says, take the sword of the Spirit. Which is the rhema of God. A word that God has quickened to you for a situation in a given fight. Take it. It's powerful. But remember, it comes from the logos, So you need to know the Lord God. You need to know the word. You need to know everything in the words. And out of that, God will quicken and say, use this in this battle. Speak this word in a given situation. Speak it. It's your rhema. It's powerful. It's like a double-edged sword that pierces against the enemy. Amen. So be attentive to the quickening of the Word of God inside you. I mean, strange things, you know. I could be doing something very casual and suddenly a word just comes up in my spirit. I haven't even thought of that maybe in months. What's happening? God is giving me a rhema, a quickening of that word that you may have read a long time ago. It's been quickened to your spirit at that moment. And that becomes your rhema. It becomes your sword against the enemy. Amen. But you need to be in the logos to receive the rhema. So be in the words all the time. Part of our armor to fight. And among this armor, two things that we just highlight. He says, take Faith. So the fourth part of our preparation is w- learning to walk in faith. It is so important. We talked about this last Sunday in Matthew 17, 19-21 when the disciples had a problem in exercising authority. A man brought his son who was lunatic, was epileptic, he was suicidal, tried to kill himself, jump in the water, jump in the fire. He brought in the disciples of Jesus. They couldn't cast the devils out and, Jesus came, he said, Oh, faithless generation, bring him to me. And he set the son free. And uh, the disciples came to him privately and said, Lord, why could we not cast it out? And Jesus said in Matthew 17 and verse 20, Because of your unbelief. So faith is involved in the exercise of our authority. So keep your faith alive by being in the word. Faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word Comes by hearing the word. A quickened word. Your faith is built up. So faith is important. And connected to that brings us to the next point of part of our preparation. Is intercession of prayer. Being in prayer. Living a life that is always prayed up. And constant communion with God is important. And through prayer... You set yourself up for victory in any engagements. For example, in Luke 22, verses 31 and 32, Jesus is telling Peter, Peter, Satan has desire to sift you as wheat. He's going to come against you. He's going to try to shake you up and and come against you. But I have prayed for you. I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. And when you've been restored, strengthen your brethren. Notice what Jesus did through prayer. First of all, he was perceptive. He knew what was going to happen in the realm of spirit. And through prayer, he already dealt with it. He didn't prevent the enemy from coming. I mean, Satan was going to come. But he already secured Peter in that conflict. That Satan will come and sift you like wheat. He's going to come against you with something. But Peter, I've prayed for you. I've dealt with this in prayer. I've handled this matter in prayer. And I know it's not the end. You may fall. You may make a mistake. But you will be restored. And you will strengthen your brethren. So through prayer, you preempt what the enemy is going to do. Through prayer, you counter... the enemy is planning. Amen? So prayer and intercession. One of the Hebrew words in the context of prayer and prophetic praying is the word shamar. It simply means to guard. The role of a prophetic intercessor is to be a guardian, to be a watchman, the correct word. To be a watchman. So really, those who stand upon the city walls are, are like watchmen who wait upon God. Are like watchmen. They have uh, they can extend a guarding influence over their jurisdiction. Whether you're a watchman over your home, watchman over the church, the people of God, or a watchman over the body of Christ, whatever your role as a prophetic intercessor is to be a watchman. You're, you're bringing protective covering for your people. You preempt in the spirit what the enemy is going to do. It's part of our preparation. Amen? So you actually deal with it in prayer, in the spirit, before you engage. If you want to look at it at a larger scale, before an army goes in to take over a territory, they send the air force first, then move the ground force. The air force clears out known targets and known points of danger. They clear them out, the air force. So then the ground troops can go with more confidence, knowing that, hey, most of the enemy has all been taken care of. I just go in and put the flag and do all that stuff. <laughs> the Air Force did all the work. So prayer is like the Air Force. They move in and they take out all the danger points of the enemy. So then the ground troops, people like, us, pastors, whatever, we can go in. And make all the noise. <laughs> but actually, the Air Force did all the work. They took out all these strategic enemy points that would have been dangerous. And we go in and take the territory. Amen. So prayer is part of this preparation of going against the enemy and and, and just getting ready to exercise spiritual authority fasting just going back to that passage in Matthew 17 2021 Jesus continued he says you know when the disciples said why could we not cast it out he said because of your unbelief and if I if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed you'll tell the mountain to move it'll move and nothing will be impossible to you and then he continued he says however this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting meaning two things prayer and fasting helps helps you Deal with your uh, lack of faith or deal with your areas of unbelief. And prayer and fasting sharpens you to deal with different kinds of demons. Fasting doesn't change God. It's a revelation to many of us. Now when I was young, when I was in my early teens, I used to fast and this was my idea. Maybe God in heaven will feel pity for me. Poor boy, he starved himself for three days and let me answer his prayer. And I thought, you know, that's what fasting does. It, it gets God's pity for you. And then as I grew up and tried to understand more of things, God, I guess that, that's not what fasting doesn't I mean. It's not going to change God. And fasting doesn't change the devil, he's always the devil. Fasting changes you, changes me. It sharpens us in the spirit. It helps deal with fleshly desires. It helps deal with things like unbelief. It it sharpens me that I can be more effective in the exercise of my authority. Amen? But understand it has to be done in the right way. Isaiah 58 deals with it. Some people go on a fast, a long fast. They go into it with all kinds of grudges and hurt and anger and bitterness. They come out and they still carry all those anger, hurt, and bitterness. I'm wondering, like, you might as well have ate all those 40 days. Because look, if if you carry all the hurt, anger, bitterness, and come out the same way, angry with people, criticizing people, I mean, it doesn't change you a bit. So you gotta fast the right way. Amen. Another important thing that I've learned is to live the fasted life. What does it mean the fasted life? It means I live always denying my flesh. So I live the fasted life. What's the point if you fast three days and after three days you eat like a pig? I'm like, please don't misunderstand me. It's good you did that. It's good you fasted three days or five days or seven days or whatever you did. But live the fasted life. That means constantly, you're keeping your flesh under, you're denying your flesh, you're living a fasted life so that you can always be sharp in the spirit 24-7. In addition to that, you take days to fast and pray, you will be even more sharper. But my call is, live the fasted life. Always keep your flesh under. Always live a life. We are denying yourself. Not only of food, but of everything that appeals to your appetites. Live the fasted life. Stay sharp in the spirit 24-7. It's part of our preparation to walk in authority. Amen? And finally... It's the area of commitment. My, a part of my preparation to walk in spiritual authority is commitment. You see, if you're pursuing something, whatever it might be, let's say you're pursuing, God, I want to see the sick healed. God, I want to see devils cast out. God, I want to see breakthrough miracles. And I want to be able to bring that into the lives of people. If you're pursuing something in the spirit, you have to be committed to it. Amen. No, like, you know, if I get it, it's nice. If I don't get it, it's okay, God, I will be done kind of thing. No. You have to be 100% committed to having it. However long the journey is going to take, however hard it's going to be, you're committed to seeing it happen. And that kind of commitment is required, is necessary to walk in authority. Now, those of you who have experienced dealing with devils, you know, There are times when you cast the devil out and immediately the person is set free. But more often than not, what happens is the devils resist. They don't always just, oh, he's come, let me go. And they resist. They they are stubborn. And we must be, pardon the English, stubborner than the devil. Or more stubborn. I mean, even to Jesus. We think, of, here is Jesus, Son of God. A man who says, "We have six thousand devils." Jesus, says, how many of you? Six thousand. Says, "But please don't cast us out." Then they're negotiating. If you send us out, can you send us into the pigs? Other times they speak up and says. We know who you are. You are the son of God. Have you come to cast us out before the time? They're getting theological now. I mean, you know, we have a time period on the earth and you're trying to chase us off before the time. I mean, if they did that to Jesus, wouldn't they talk back to you? I mean, (laughs) and that's what happens normally when you Tea with these things. And I had the strangest kinds of things happen. A common thing is this when, the, when, you're, when you're dealing with, uh, when you're talking about, it, we're talking about an individual, you know, uh, deliverance session here. One common thing, the demon, the person is possessed and at that time manifesting, one common thing is they'll ask for water. So you say, oh, I need to take care of this one. Go get water. a question Do the devils need water? They don't. It's only a distraction. That person doesn't actually know what's going on because they're in, out of shape. Are they're they, are they totally, they, totally not sure what's going on. So really it's a distraction. A totally vegetarian girl is asking for, I want to eat meat. Serious. Huh. Vegetarian. Wanted to eat meat. Who is speaking? So the enemy, the devil, started to distract. They are stubborn. They wouldn't want to go. Well, what must you do? You must be committed to seeing that person delivered. Otherwise, don't engage. In anything in life, anything you're pursuing in the spirit, you've got to be committed to it. The Bible says in James 1 8, a double minded man is unstable, shaky, easily pushed over. So, if you're double minded, you get pushed over. You cannot be double minded. When you want to exercise spiritual authority, you've got to be sold out, committed to the cause that you're pursuing, whether it's in business in your vocation, and the call of God on your life, whatever area, and, and you own exercise your authority in that area to, to advance, to see the growth of God's purposes, the coming forth of God's purposes in that area of your life, you've got to be sold out. You've got to be committed to it. Because in Mark 3.25, Jesus said, a house that is divided will fall. A house in the Bible many times refers to a human person as well. So if a person is divided, he'll fall. I remember many when we first moved back to Bangalore, and uh, we came with this vision to start the church. And before coming back, we had these great grand dreams that you know we'll have this big crusade, thousand people will get saved, so all people church will start it with 1,000 members. And by the time it's first year, we'll have so many people, and, and it all it looked nice on paper, the road map to 50,000. <laughs> How every year will grow and hit 50,000 people and all that. Uh, Look great on paper. He moved back and no crusade, nothing. Started in a small way. There were eight people in the house. And after two years in Bangalore, we probably had maybe 20, 30, pe- 30 people maybe in the church. And honestly, thoughts went through my mind. Am I doing... The right thing? Did I really hear God? What's going on? And in those two years, I saw two people I knew of who had come, one from Canada, one from the United States, who had come to set up a ministry, a planted church, and do a work in Bangalore. In two years, they packed up and left. Going back. We gave ourselves no such option to go back. I told myself, if I spend the rest of my life ministering to 20 people in India, I'm committed to doing that. I am committed to this city and I'm committed to this nation. Nothing will turn me back. We call that territorial commitment. The spirit realm... Is territorial. There are angels assigned to territories. There are demons assigned to territories. It's time God's people got assigned to their territories. When you are committed to a territory, you have authority in that territory. Amen? Now I see, and I'm not against traveling to the nations. I... If I wanted to, I could be traveling everywhere, all over the world. Going and preaching and feel good that I'm going here and I'm going there and I'm going here. And I'm going. If I wanted to, I could do that. But you know what? My heart is for my city. It's for my nation. So some preachers fancy about traveling here, traveling there. It doesn't fancy me at all. It doesn't appeal to me at all. For me, I want souls to be saved in India. I'm committed to a territory. I'm committed This nation, and when you're committed to a nation, you will have spiritual authority in that nation. The spirit world recognizes territorial commitments, amen. So, part of walking in spiritual authority is your commitment to a cause, it's a commitment to your call, it's a commitment to whatever you're pursuing, it's a commitment to a territory. If you will commit, you will have authority. This is part of our preparation. So I say, Pastor, you'll never leave Bangalore? No. When I feel my work is done, my heart is really after North India. So I don't know when, I don't know, but maybe one day I'll say, chalo, we Delhi go or Kashmir or wherever. I don't know. I got to prepare. I got to learn Hindi also. <laughs> I don't know. But this nation, I want to see this nation, breathe all right, if God says, okay, time to move to somewhere in North India, okay, we we'll go. Ready. But first, let's get the work done in our city. Amen? There's a commitment to a territory that gives authority. Let's stand to our free. I want to take some time just to respond to what you heard this morning. I know I shared about seven different areas that we need to prepare ourselves as we get ready to exercise our authority. This is something we walk in all the time. It's not just something we do one-off. It's some, a consistent walk in these seven areas an in intimacy with God and in our identity with Jesus and our obedience to God and, our, and having on the armor of God and walking in faith and, and walking in a, in a prayer life of prayer and intercession and walking in, in a, the fasted life and walking committed to a cause, a call, a territory. As we walk in these things, we'll be able to come uh, into a place where we can exercise our authority. Next Sunday, we'll be talking about how to exercise our authority. But will you take a moment, please, to pray. Maybe of all the things that were said, one word spoke to you. Maybe one thing touched your heart. It struck a chord inside you. I want you to pray about that this morning. And just respond to the Lord. Say, God, I want to be a man or woman who's really ready, who's prepared, who's always ready. To walk in the authority that God's given me. And I want to walk in greater realms of authority. I want to walk in greater realms. But I demonstrate kingdom authority. I want to grow in this. So would you please take a moment just to pray. The Lord Jesus said, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. This is the kind of church that Jesus is raising up. A church that overpowers the enemy. It means that you and I are to be such a people who walk in authority in our daily lives. Advancing against the gates of hell. Advancing against the power centers. seeing the kingdom of God advance this is the kind of church Jesus is raising up would you pray and say God I want to be one of those people as part of your church to see the gates of hell overpowered those power centers of the enemy in my city must be overpowered Wherever well, the enemy has placed his influence, has established his seat, set up his gate, I want to go, overthrow it. Whether it's in education, whether it's in the government, whether it's in the media, whether it's in arts or entertainment or in sports or business or wherever in our city, the enemy has established his seat and set up his gate You go. You're part of that church that Jesus is raising up. Father, we pray that you will truly equip each one of us to be men and women who will walk in authority, God, right in our homes in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our places of work, and extending influence in this city, that we will be men and women who will guard, who will subdue, who will have dominion. So equip us So use us, we pray, and we thank you, O God, in Jesus' name. Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Though darkness cover the earth and deep darkness the people, yet the Lord shall arise upon you and His glory will be seen upon you. In Jesus' name, everyone say, Amen. Let's say this together, I'm prepared, I'm armed, I'm dangerous. Devil, here I come. God bless you. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also, visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.